Alright, Jabosai, good morning. Today's nap is Membab. We have a lot to do today. A lot to do today. The Shear today is sponsored by Jonas and Kaplan and the entire 3200 block of Shelburne Road with appreciation to Ari Lichtman for his help during the blizzard. Wallace is waiting. Wallace is waiting. No, no, Baruch Hashem. We got kidding. Okay. Where is the 3200 block of, of Shelburne Road? Are they, no, 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 no. I'm, sorry, I'm looking for them. I'm looking for them around. <laughs> All right. So, so, so let's let's begin. So Mem Bav Amud Aleph, we're picking up on Mem Hamad base 45B. So let's say so after today, we left off with Reb Shimon Amliel. Um, okay, it's a long way up. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 22, 22. 25 lines up from the bottom. So as I remember, again, we saw yesterday a fascinating sugya, all about, all about um, what you do with tefillin that were written, that were written, or ultimately, again, or, or found in the possession of non-Jews. Non-Jews. So Rabbi Shimon Amil seemed to espouse the position that even if you have a pair of tefillin that were written by a non-Jew, lemaisa, again, they are still considered to be kosher. So the says, is that true? Rabbi Shimon Amil, ibud lishman boy, ksiva lishman lo boy. So it's intriguing because Rabbi Shimon Amil himself said that the parchment for tefillin must actually be tanned lishma. So could it be that at the end of the day, again, he requires a tanning lishma, but doesn't require a writing lishma? So the Gemara said, this sign, Yetzipan Zahav, Osha Talalei, and Arbehema Tmeh. So the tefillin were coated with gold, or you went ahead and you used the parchment of non-kosher animal. So the halacha is, it's, so it's possible, Arbehema Tohoro, Ksheros, Va'apapishla Ibn Lishma. If you used, if you used parchment from a kosher animal, so the tefillin are kosher, but, but, even if they have not been tanned Lishma. However, Rav Amliel says that the parchment is possible until it is tanned lishma, or is that the actual tanning of the hide must be done lishma. So what do you see from here? You see Rav Shimon Amliel holds that the tanning of the hide must be done lishma. If the tanning of the hide has to be done lishma, could it be that he's machshir in a case of a non-Jew who went ahead and wrote the tefillin? It doesn't make sense. To which the Gemara says, "Oh, the Gemara says, Amr Amr Rabashmuel The case that we're talking about over here is with a convert who returns back to his idolatry. That's the case where Shimon Gamliel holds that the tefillin are still kosher. Because again, even though again the convert returned back to his former idolatrous ways, he's still a Jew, and therefore, technically speaking, the tefillin are still kosher. The Gemara says, "Lesuro kosher the havili min." But such a person ultimately again is called a min, is called an apikores. So how could such a person's tefillin that he writes be kosher? Oh, what are we talking about over here? A person that who converted and then returned back to his former religion out of fear. Out of fear. In other words, that there was some type of fear of persecution. That's why he went back. In that case, Rabbi Shemim Amil says that his tefillin that he writes are kosher because he's still considered him to be a Jew. And we don't look at his return to his former idolatrous ways as a totally sinful act. Rather, we just look at it as something that was motivated by fear. To which the Gemara says, Tan Rabbanon, Ma'alin Bidimein Ad Kedet Shrapik. So let's remember again, the Mishnah ruled 
that you are permitted to purchase Sifrei Torah, Tulen, and Mezuzos from non-Jews as long as you're purchasing them at their value. In other words, you can't overpay for them. That being said, the, Mish- the, the Mishnah said, the Gemara said that you're permitted to overpay a little bit. You're, a little to go, you're, a little, you're permitted to go a little bit above market. So what's a little bit above market? So the Gemara says, up until the Tropic. My Tropic, Amar Istaria. Okay, Istra. So you can pay up until an Istra above. So this represented some markup, some markup above regular market price. So the is off with a story. There was a particular Arab woman who brought a bag full of pairs of tefillin before Abaye. So she had all this tefillin. So he said to her, look, he said, could I buy each pair from you for a couple of dates? So can I give you a couple of dates for each pair of tefillin? In Zahira, the Arab woman became so angry, like a righteous indignation, that's all you want to give me is a couple of dates for the tefillin. And what does she do? Shakla shadatinhu banara. She took the bag of tefillin and she threw it into the river. Amr, to which, to which Abaye said, I should not have degraded the tefillin in front of her so much. In other words, then Abai actually took responsibility. He said, you know, it wasn't right. The fact that I offered her a couple of dates meant that these items were not precious in my eyes. And I should not have degraded the value of these dates in her eyes so much. Very profound story. So the Mishnah says, so, we'll say, so again, if we are, we'll have to find the time because the halacha lemaisa and the sugya about tefillin from Ovdei Kochavim is exceptionally important. This does happen. This absolutely does happen where you have non-Jews who are trying to sell Sifrei Torah tefillin, not really mezuzahs, but much more Sifrei Torah. So again, the halacha is, we'll see, the shulchan, we'll, we'll have a lot of fun time to go ahead and talk about the shulchan, shulchan or paskins, the idea that one is permitted and even encouraged to buy these items, get them out of non-Jewish hands, but one is not permitted to overpay. One is not permitted to overpay, because the concern ultimately is much like Pidyon Shvuyim, that if you overpay for these items, then what? Then you create a market for stolen Judaica. And therefore, again, you're allowed to pay, but you are not permitted to, over, to pay above market. So again, we'll have to find the time to see this in the Shulchanar. Says the Mishnah, If one who divorces his wife because of Shemra, we'll say Shemra means over here in this context that, that, that rumors are out that she's committing adultery. She's committing adultery. So he divorced her because of Shemra. Lo yachsir. He is never permitted to remarry her. Mishum neder. Lo yachsir. Similarly, if he divorces her because she's constantly making the darim, he also can't go ahead and remarry her. Now, say, now, the logic behind this over here is the following. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says, Lo yachsir. So we're going to see in the Gemara Zemachlokas as to why he can't remarry her. Some say he can't remarry her because if we allow him to remarry her, he could mess her over very badly. How so? Let's say he divorces her because word is out that she's committing adultery. Or word is out that she's making the Durham. And then what? It turns out, so he divorces her. Then what? Then she remarries. She has a family. And then it turns out that the rumors that she committed adultery were false. She didn't commit adultery. Or that the Nidarim she made, he really had the power to annul them. So what could happen? He could say, oh, had I known that you were a virtuous woman, 
I would have never gone ahead and divorced you. There was an awakadatu that could cast dispersions on the get. Under certain circumstances, that could actually negate the get. And it turns out that's what? That now her marriage to this second guy is in fact adultery. And therefore, again, her children are mamzerim. So what do we do in order to avoid this? In order to avoid this, we go ahead and we tell the husband, look, if you're divorcing your wife, it's done. Meaning, understand, you have no recourse. If you're divorcing her because of immorality or divorcing her because of nadarim, so you're agreeing now that when you give her the get, you are waiving your rights to remarriage. You're waiving your rights to remarriage. That's how the Mishnah passes. The Mishnah says, Rabbi Yudha, Rabbi Yudha says, well, not every single nether. It depends on the nether. Kol nether shiyadu barabim lo yachzir. V'shalo yadu barabim lo yachzir. Excuse me. V'shalo yadu barabim lo yachzir. Rabbi Yudha says, it depends. If it's a nether that was vowed in public. So we'll say, so a nether vowed in public, which is a more significant, I'm sorry. The other possibility as to why we tell him that he can't remarry her is because this is a statement to Jewish women that ultimately, again, don't engage in practices that make you look like you are suspect of, of, of immorality and don't be wanton in your vowing practices. Those are the two opinions we'll see in the Gemara. Rabbi Huda qualifies and Rabbi Huda says that this doesn't apply for every nether. Rather, it only applies to the type of nedarim that are made in public. Because also we're going to see that Rabbi Huda is of the opinion that a nether made in public does not have any kind of revocation. That's when the husband can't remarry her. But if it was a nether not vowed in public, meaning it has revocation, husband can remarry her if he divorced her. Rabbi Meir and Meir says, Kol nether Rabbi Meir says, if he divorces her because of the type of nether that requires sage intervention, chacham intervention, in order to annul it, that's the type of nether, if he divorced her because of the nether, we tell him he can't remarry her. But if it's the type of nether that he himself could annul, and he divorces her because of that type of nether, we do permit him to remarry her. Amr Abelazar, lo asru zeh, ala mitnei zeh. On the other hand, Rabbi Lazar says just the opposite. Rabbi Lazar says, we only assert the case of a nether that requires annulment by a chacham, lest you come to a case of where the husband divorces her because of a nether that the husband himself had the ability to annul. In other words, Rabbi Lazar feels that the second type of nether is actually more dangerous. Why? Because hu- wife makes a nether. Husband divorces her because he doesn't like the fact that she's making the dharm. Then it turns out that's what? Well, she remarries as a family. Then it turns out that the nether she made, that was the grounds, which was the grounds for divorce, turns out that what? He had the power to annul it. So what is the husband going to say? Had I known that I had the power to annul it, I would have never what? I would have never divorced you. And of course, again, that cast aspersions now onto her second marriage. So, Amr Rabbi Suppose listen to this case. There was a man in Sidon who said to his wife, Konam. Now see what Konam means. Konam means literally something should be prohibited upon me if I don't divorce you. And then he divorced her and he regretted it. He wanted to go out and remarry her. The rabbis permitted him to remarry her. Why? For the benefit of society. So we'll have to define in the Gemara what that story means. It says, We'll say, this idea over here in the Mishnah, that if a husband divorces his wife because of rumors of adultery, because she's making the darim, so the Mishnah ruled, he may not remarry her. So Rav Nachman says, that's only if what? 
That's only if he said to her, Mishum Shemra Animoti Acha, Mishum Tapav Menvav, Mishum Nedra Animoti Acha. That's only if he explicitly tells her, I'm divorcing you because of a neder, I'm divorcing you because of the rumors of adultery. So the Gemara says, Kasavar Taimamai Mishum Kilkula. Because I remember, according to this approach, according to Rav Nachman, the whole idea why we don't allow him to remarry her in these cases is because he can mess her up seriously by claiming, after she's into her second marriage, by claiming, had I known these things, I would have never gone ahead and divorced you. So, So, listen to this. The Gemara says, therefore, if he goes ahead and he says, I am divorcing you, Mishum Shemra, and I am divorcing you, Mishum Neder, then ultimately, again, what he's doing over here in this case, this is where the rabbis went ahead and said, you cannot remarry your wife. Why? Since he made his divorce explicitly conditional, not really conditional, but he explicitly explained that the reason for his divorce was why? Because of these things, the concern is that if he finds out that these things are not true, he's going to try to what? He's going to try to avoid the divorce. And therefore, it's in those cases where the husband says, I'm divorcing you because of Shemra, or I'm divorcing you because of a neder. So what does the Beisdin tell the husband? No problem. It's your prerogative to divorce because of these things. But please understand that what? That if you divorce her, then what? You cannot remarry her. In other words, essentially what Beisdin does is forces the husband to waive his rights to remarriage, which is fascinating. Why do we do that, says the Gemara? Because we are concerned that if he does not waive those rights at some point in time, he may find out that the information upon which he is basing his decision to divorce is not true, and he may come to try to avoid the divorce. That's fine if she's still single. It's not fine if she's remarried with kids. On the other hand, the Gemara says, Others explain, He asked to say to her, An alternate version of this discussion has it, that when the husband divorces her, the Beisdin obligates him to say to his wife, I am divorcing you because of a Shemra, I am divorcing you because of Nedarim. So according to this second approach, we actually make him articulate the reason why he's divorcing her, in order that what? In order that she understand the reason why the marriage is ending, and in order that it should serve as a lesson to Jewish women in general, that be careful with your behaviors, don't engage in things that will lead you to be suspect in your husband's eyes for adultery, and don't engage in wanton vowing practices. Tanya Kalishna Kamava Tanya Kalishna Basra. So we have a brace that so we'll say, see, you understand these two different versions are yielding two different the bottom line is the same, which is that if the husband divorces his wife because of suspected adultery or because of Nadarim, Bazdin says you waive your right to remarriage. The Shaila is what's what's the reason for that taikona? So first approach says the reason for that taikona is we're trying to protect the woman. Because if it turns out that the information is not true and the husband tries to avoid the divorce, we don't want him to do that. We want him to waive, proactively waive his rights 
for remarriage. Second approach says, no, this is a Muslim, this is a lesson, that the woman is getting divorced because of, again, suspected adultery, because of wanton vowing, and therefore the husband makes an explicit statement, this is why I'm divorcing you, and it should serve as a lesson to Jewish women. Tanya Kalishna Kama, Tanya Kalishna Brisa. So we have two different Brisos. So Tanya Kalishna Kama, the Brisa that supports the first approach, Amr Abmeir, Mipnei Ma Amr Amotias, Ishto Mishum Shemra, Lo Yachzir, Umishum Nedr Lo Yachzir. Why is it that Chazal said that if you divorce your wife because of suspected adultery or because of vowing, that you can never remarry her. Shema telech, because the concern is, Shema telech, because maybe she'll, she'll get divorced, and then she'll get remarried. And then what happens? And it turns out, well, so let's go to the adultery idea. Turns out that she didn't commit adultery. He was wrong. It was a rumor, and it was totally unfounded. And what happens? And the husband, husband number one, will say, had I known that you did not commit adultery, even had they paid me a thousand dollars, right? He's professing his love for her. Even had they paid me a thousand, I would have never divorced you. Get bottle ubanehamam zairim. So I say, technically speaking, if the husband says essentially, I divorced you under false pretenses. I divorced under false pretenses, meaning I thought that you were an adulteress, and it turns out that you're not. Had I known that you were not an adulteress, I would have never divorced, even had they given me a thousand dollars. So the Gemara says, technically speaking, technically speaking, on a technical level, if the husband claims I issued the divorce under false pretenses, I, I, I issued the divorce with false information, technically speaking, he could, he could go through a process of trying to re- negate the get which is very nice for him, only one problem, which is now what? Which is that now she's effectively de facto committed adultery, and her children are mamzerim. In order to avoid that possibility, so what do Chazal say? L'fichach omrim lo, haviyodea, shamotyes ishto mishum shemra, lo yachzir mishum neder, lo yachzir. Therefore, Chazal, as a way of preventing this from occurring, say to this guy, listen, we understand you want to divorce your wife because of the following issues, that's fine. That's your prerogative. But understand, when a man divorces his wife because of suspected adultery or ultimately because of nedarim, you are waiving your rights to remarriage. You're waiving your rights. Tanya Kalishna Basra, that's the first approach. Tanya Kalishna Basra. We have a Brisa that supports the second approach. Why is it the rabbi said that if a man divorced his wife because of nedarim, or because of Shemra, that he may not remarry her. In order that Jewish women are not be prudent, I will say that a woman has to be careful with the behaviors that she engages in. That she cannot go ahead and engage in behaviors that look like adultery, even in fact what? If the behaviors themselves are not actually adulterous. Similarly, that Jewish women have to be careful again with the type of nadarim they make. Omrim lo, therefore we say to the husband that if he's going to divorce his wife because of these things, Amr law, say to her, We tell the husband, we instruct the husband, say to the wife, explain to your wife why you're divorcing her. So first of all, she should understand the grounds of divorce, and more than that, I will say it serves as a, an example for Jewish women in general. Be careful with your behaviors. We'll say it's a very important episode that remember, we don't know if she committed adultery or not, or we don't know if she's making illegal vows. But in life, you know, we'll say sometimes people go through life saying, I don't care what other people think. 
You have to care what other people think. That's the notion of Kiddush Hashem, Chil Hashem, which is caring about what other people think. And therefore, the mice, again, a person has to be careful that their behaviors do not give rise to the suspicion of illicit behaviors. And therefore, again, according to the second approach, we say to the husband, again, you can't remarry your wife and tell your wife that the reason ultimately you're divorcing her is because of these behaviors. So we'll say, so again, everyone is agreeing on the bottom line, which is that if a husband divorces his wife, either because of Nedarim or suspected adultery, he may not remarry her, the fundamental machlokis is the reason for the gzera. Rabbi Huda Omer, kol neder sheyadu barab no yachzir, vishlo yadu barab im yachzir. So let's remember again, in the neder case, Rabbi Huda dis- not disagrees, but he qualifies. And Rabbi Huda says, it's not every single neder, not every single neder, that this takana applies to. Rather, it's only a neder sheyadu barab If he divorces her because of a neder that is made in public, then that's a situation where he can't remarry her. But if it's not an Ezra made in public, then he can remarry her. So what's the Peshad? What's going on over here? I'm not even sure about leaving. My time with Rabbi Huda. What's Rabbi Huda? Now, now Rabbi Huda's logic ultimately is that a neder shohuder berabim ein lo hafara. That ultimately, again, a neder made in public does not have, is not subject to any kind of revocation. You can't, you can't revoke it. Therefore, again, it seems to be over here. Yeah, Rabbi Huda is saying is the following. If he divorces her because of a major neder, what's the definition of a major neder? Like a neder that does not have revocation, then again, he is not permitted to remarry her. So what's the logic over here? My time is Rabbi Huda. So the chsiv, he Yisrael, this is an amazing passage. This is the Sefer Yoshua by the Givonim. Remember again, the Givonim were a were an indigenous nation to Canaan. They now they heard Klal Yisrael is coming into Eretz Yisrael, and they also word out on the street is that what Klal Yisrael is charged with eradicating the seven indigenous nations or the, all, many of the indigenous nations. So the Givonim got scared. So what did they do? They disguised themselves as a foreign people from outside of Canaan and approached Yoshua for a treaty. So they lied. So they, it worked. Yoshua and Claudius made a treaty with them. And then it was discovered that, in fact, they were native Canaanites. So when that happened, when that happened, so the Pasuk says that Yoshua and Claudius did not kill the Givonim because they, because they made an oath to them. Now, Rabbi Huda assumes over here, the Rabbi Huda assumes over here that the reason why Yoshua cannot kill them was because he made a neder berabin. He made, a, he made a public vow. And for that meaning, I mean, a public vow, meaning a public vow, a public treaty with the Givonim. So what do you see from here? That a public treaty, a public treaty cannot be annulled. That's Rabbi Huda's proof text. So the Rabbana say there was no Shavua over here. After all, the Abanan say there was no Shavuah here. Why was there no Shavuah here? Because the Givonim lied. Right? Bless you. Because the Givonim said we're from a foreign land. And what? And what? They weren't. So there was no Shavuah here because it was, so you can't have a binding Shavuah based on a lie. Aye, so why didn't Yoshua and Klai well just kill the Givonim right there? So the Givonim said, oh, Hashem. I will say, you know why they didn't kill the Givonim? Chil Hashem. Because here, remember, word out on the street was that Kalal Yisrael made a treaty with the Givonim. So to now go ahead and turn around and kill them would what? Would be a Chil Hashem. That's why they didn't kill them. The Kama Rabbim, so we'll say, so just in general, so what is considered to be a Rabbim? Meaning we, now we've established that at least according to Rabbi Huda, and the Rabbim aren't disagreeing with that. The Rabbim are just disagreeing on the proof text of Rabbi Huda. But a Nadir Shudab Rabbim, a Nadir made in public, is not subject to revocation. What is the definition of a Rabbim? So it says the Gimara. 
says the Gemara, Rav Nachman Amar Gimel. Rav Nachman says three people. Rav Yitzchak Amar Asara. Rav Yitzchak says it's got to be ten people. Rav Nachman Amar Gimel, Yamin Beis, Rabim Gimel. He learns that from Zava. That by Zava, Rabbi means three days. If she has a flow of blood for three days, she's a Zava Gidola. Rav Yitzchak Amar Asara Dechsev Eida. And Rav Yitzchak says no, that the minimum for a Rabbim is, an, is, is ten. Where do we learn that from Eida? What's that Eida is by the Miraglim. It's by the Miraglim. Remember again, because the Eida Hara, the bad Eida was 10. Why 10? Because 12 Miraglim minus 2, yo, minus two Yoshu and Kalev. So an Eida is 10. So we'll say, so again, they have a machlokis as to what's a Rabbim. Of course, again, the Raman Paskin is that for Nadarim purposes, so a Rabbim is 10 people. Fine. Rabbi Meir, Omer, Kol Nader, Shetzarich. So remember again, we'll say, Rabbi Meir, on the other hand, said that what? Any neder that requires annulment by a chacham, that's the type of neder that if you divorce your wife because of that neder, you can't remarry her. But another type of neder, ultimately you can. So the Gemara says, Tanya, Rebeloz, and, the, and that, remember the Mishnah went on and said, Tanya, Rebeloz or Omer, lo asru tzarich, ela mipnei she'eno tzarich. So Rebeloz, on the other hand, said, no, the real issue over here is the only reason the rabbis prohibited tzarich, a neder that requires a chakiras chacham, a nomad by a sage, is really because of the case of a neder that doesn't require the annulment of a sage. Now, what are the arguments? My kamiflagi, Rameir Savar, Adam Rotzer, Shetispazi, Ishtobabezdin. So, we'll say, Rabbi Meir holds that a man doesn't mind if his wife has to be embarrassed by going to Bezin for annulment of a neder. In other words, that if she has to get her neder annulled, she'll get her neder annulled. So, therefore, again, according to Rabbi Meir, if a man divorces his wife because of a neder that required a chakiras chacham, annulment by a sage, we don't allow him to remarry her. Why? Because we're afraid that when he finds out later on that the neder could have been annulled, he would have said to her, had I known that you could have had your neder, I would have had you go to Bezdin and get your neder annulled. On the other hand, Rabbi Lazar Savar, Ein Adam Bazi Bezdin. On the other hand, Rabbi Lazar says that a man would not want his wife to be to be, to be embarrassed by having to go to Bezdin. And therefore, according to Rebelozah, the problematic neder is what? Is a neder that the husband himself could have annulled. That's the case where we're concerned that if the husband finds out afterwards that he had the power of annulment, that's what? That he would have said, had I known, I would have never, I would have never divorced you. So what is this? Remember, the story is a strange story. What was the story? The guy said, the guy said, konam alai, konam upon me if I don't divorce you. He divorced her, and then what does the Mishnah say? He allowed him to remarry her. So the Gemara says, what, what is this story doing over here? So the Gemara says, I'll tell you, there's a piece missing here, so I have to read it. When do we say, when do we say that the, sp- the husband, the spouse waives the right to remarriage? Kishanajrahi. I will say that's only if she made a nether. Meaning, what does that mean? If he divorces her because she's making nedarim, then what? Then that's the way the Mishnah says, we tell him, you waive the rights to remarriage. Aval, nadar ihu yachzir. But I will say, if the husband's making nedarim, if he made a nether, and that's why they got divorced, he is permitted to go ahead and remarry her. just know, in general, Chazal seem to feel that the issue of wanton vowing is an issue by women and not an issue by men. I don't know. Maybe that has to do with... I, I'm not exactly... Well, it could, it could have to do without, without getting into gender stereotypes. Right? right? It could have to do with the difference of the emotional composure between men and women and the jumping to vow in, in difficult or stressful situations. Legal counsel? Is that... I, I've heard. I've heard. I've been told. 
by someone at Darfi, not from here. So, again, it could, it, which makes sense that ultimately, again, because of the emotion, more emotional nature of women, that it could be that vowing is a more reflexive reaction to certain situations more than men. And therefore, again, and therefore, again, the Gemara is saying over here that if divorce happened because of a man, excuse me, if the Nidharm is an issue on the, on the side of the man, that is not grounds for waiving of the rights for remarriage. So the Gemara says the following, and the Mishnah supports this assertion by bringing down this story that there was a man in Sidon who went ahead and made a nadar. And he said, Konam, we'll discuss it in just a moment. Konam, if I don't divorce you. And he divorced his wife. And the rabbis permitted him to remarry her. Why? So the Mishnah said, because of Tikkun Olam. So the Gemara says, my, my Konam. So before we get to Tikkun Olam, my Konam. So we'll say, so first of all, what's the meaning of the case? What does it mean, Konam? Konam alayim eni megar shecha. Now we'll say, remember, Konam, we know this from our Nadarim days. Konam is a lashon of prohibition. So Konam usually means like this. Something should be prohibited to me if I do or I don't do something else. So what's the konam? The case was where what? Where the guy said, all of the fruit of the world should be ushered to me if I don't divorce you. So therefore, how does it So he divorced her. And the Mishnah is teaching me that Chazal permitted him to go ahead and remarry her. Why? What's the, what's the message of the Mishnah? That the when you go ahead and you divorce your spouse because of a neder, that you can't remarry your spouse, that is only a din when the woman is the one who is making the nedarim. So if she is the wanton vower, that's when Chazal said ultimately again, husband, you waive your rights to remarriage. But if the husband is the one who is the vower, then what? If once he has his vow appealed, remarriage is going to... There's another reason also, according to the first approach of understanding the Mishnah, that this is an issue of kilkul. They were concerned over here that if we allow him to remarry her at some point in time, he may void the get. That issue obviously only applies if it's the woman who's the vower, does not apply if it's the man of the vower. Therefore, Mishnah tells you, bottom line, this gzera only applies when the woman is the vower, not when the man is the vower. They permitted him to remarry her. Pshita. So the Gemara says, isn't, okay, it's obvious they permitted her to remarry her. Listen to this. What would I have thought? Meaning, what, what's the havamina? What's the havamina? That because of the vow, he would not be permitted to remarry her. I'll tell you why. So the Gemara says, I might have thought that we should be goes because of Rabbi Nassan. What Rabbi Nassan? This Sanya. Rabbi Nassan, Omer, I know that Kilubala, Bana, Bama. If one goes ahead and makes a nether, it's as if you've built an illegal altar, the Hamakaimo. And one who goes ahead and what? Upholds the nether, Kilu, Hikrivala, Karban. It's as if you bring a carbon. So we'll say, in other words, vowing is not good. Vowing is not good. So I might have thought again that perhaps we shouldn't allow him to remarry her. In order not to, in order not to have him uphold the vow, Kamash Malon know that we're not concerned about his vow. So we both say. So again, the Mishnah. See that last phrase is a little bit strange because again, it sounds like it's going on the last case that we allow the vowing husband after he divorced his wife to go ahead and remarry her. What tikkun olam ika is there? Amar Rav Sheshes Aresha. Rav Sheshes says, no, no, no. That Mibnei Tikkun Olam is actually not going on that last case. That Mibnei Tikkun Olam is going on the beginning of the Mishnah. What did the beginning of the Mishnah say? That if a man divorces his wife because of Nadarim or because of suspected adultery, what's the halacha? What's the halacha? What's the halacha? 
he may not remarry her. And now at the end of the Mishnah it says, why is that? Mipnei tikkun ha'olam, for the benefit of society. So the Gemara says, Ravina Amr the Olam Seifa. Ravina says, no, 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 in reality, that last phrase is actually going on the case of the vowing husband. So what does Mipnei tikkun ha'olam? And also, the way the Mishnah should read is what? That there is no tikkun ha'olam in this case. In other words, that we allow him to remarry his wife, the vowing husband, because there's no issue of tikkun There's no benefit of society being served here if we prevent them from remarrying. So, both sides, so the Mishnah ends off again with leaving the takonas chazal intact, that if a man divorces his wife ultimately again because of vows or because of suspected adultery, that we go ahead and we go ahead and we tell him you may not remarry your wife. Machlok is in Mishnah what type of vows this apply to, and also Mishnah qualifies for us this only applies to a vowing wife, not to a vowing husband. Also, you should just know in contemporary get practice, one of the things that we do when the husband gives the get is we tell him that this get is valid independent of any other conditions that he may have in his mind. Meaning we explicitly tell him that if you find out some piece of information later on, some piece of information later on, that had you known it now, you would not have divorced your wife, that you agree at this moment that this get is valid no matter what. We don't force, we don't do, we don't force people to waive re- rights of remarriage for reasons we'll discuss. But it's interesting that we tell him explicitly, you may find that information later on that may tell you, had I known this now, I would not have gone through with the divorce. You say, husband, agree to the fact that even when you find out that information, you are agreeing to the fact that the get is valid no matter what information may surface afterwards to avoid these type of situations. Says the Mishnah, is another fascinating case. A man goes out and divorces his wife because she's an islandess. And I will say, now, islandess is a case of a woman who can't have children. Now, it's not, now remember, not just women can't have children, but also she's failed to develop certain signs of physical maturation. So he divorces his wife because she's an islandess. So I will say, so what's the halacha? Rashi says over here, Shalom Hikirba, Hamotzi Ishto Beget, Mishum Islandess, Shalom Hikirba, Kishakinsa. Remember again, the issue over here is, the, what Rashi is preemptively striking at is, why isn't this a Mekah Tos? Right? Mekah Tos. Right? A man marries a woman, again, marries a woman with the expectation that she could have children. It turns out now that she's an islandess. Why is it Mekah Tos? So Rashi points out it's not Mekah Tos for the following reason. Because we're both saying, when a man has relations with a woman, he, not, he does not want those relations to be a bias znus. And therefore, again, he wants those relations to be marital relations. And therefore, Lemaisa, again, because of that, we assume that he has intention that his kiddushin with her should be no matter what the circumstances. But now it turns out that she's barren, that she can't have children, so he wants to divorce her. So Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, Lo yachzir. Rabbi Huda says, if a man divorces his wife explicitly because she's an islandess, he may not, he may not go ahead and remarry her. Vecham lecham say no yachzir. He can remarry her. Now we'll say, look at Rashi. So Rashi says over here, Rabbi Huda omer lo yachzir, shema tinase v'telid, v'tomar ilu hayisi odeh shekein, afilu nostin li kufmana, lo hayisi megan shecha, Here's the concern. The concern is she's going to get married to someone else, so she's going to have kids. And what's going to happen? Husband number one is going to say what? Say what? 
Had I known that you're, that you're not barren, I would have never divorced you. And he's going to try to retroactively negate the get, which I'm going to say could have t- catastrophic repercussions for her and for her second family. And therefore, this says, we tell the guy, look, it's your prerogative to divorce her because she's an island. But just understand that if you divorce her because of this, you may not go ahead and remarry her. The Chama, on the other hand, say we're not concerned for this possibility, and therefore say that he can remarry her even if he divorced her because of islandess. Me say, get ready for this. So now let's say, so husband divorces wife because she's an islandess. She gets married to someone else. And she has children. She has children. So what happens? She comes back to husband number one. And now what does she want? She wants her ksuva. She wants to ksuva. Rabbi says, so listen to this. Now, this is actually very interesting. Now, look, Rashi says, Rabbi says, So, listen to this. So, listen to this. So, so, even though we said before, so remember, in this case, where he's divorcing or because she's an islandess, it appears that because she's being divorced because she's an islandess, that she's not entitled to ksuva. Why? Because even though we said before that a person doesn't want to make his bia a bias nus, and therefore there's no mekachtos, and therefore again, and therefore they're married, and therefore she requires a get. When it comes to ksuva, a husband is only mekabel to pay a ksuva to a woman who he was capable of having a family with him. But if she's not capable of having a family, it appears that Lamaisa, he would not have to pay her ksuva. We're going to discuss this particular point. So the Gemara says, now she has, a fa- she has children with her second husband. She comes back to husband number one, and she says to him essentially what? Hey, problem's not me. The problem's you. And as such, again, I want my ksuva. So Rabbi Huda, Umar Huda says, Omer la, he could say to her, Shtikuseich yafa midibureich. Your silence is much more is much more appreciated than you're speaking in this situation. In other words, he says, "Be careful, because if you're going to press the ksuva, I'm going to press the idea that had I known you could have children, I would have never divorced you, and therefore, again, I will pursue the option of retroactively voiding the get." So, husband has the husband of one has the right to say to her, "Better for you to walk away from this situation without your ksuva, because if you're going to push it." I'm going to push it as well. Says the Gemara, the name Rabbi Rabbi Yehuda Chayesh Lekilkula, but Rabban Alo Chayesh Lekilkula. And Rabban said, based on the Mishnah, remember again. So the Mishnah said that if a man divorces his wife because she's an islandess, Rabbi Yehuda said the husband has to waive future rights of remarriage. Why? Because Rechoshesh, that if there's the ability to remarry her, if she gets married to a second guy and has kids, he may come along and say, what? Had I known that you could have children, I would have never divorced you. So he's Choshesh Rekilkul. On the other hand, Chachamim say, no. You don't have to waive your rights for remarriage because we're not choshesh v'kilkul. So the Gemara says, that to say that Rabbi Yehuda is chayesh l'kilkula. He's chayesh, that if, he's choshesh, that the husband, husband number one, may try to go ahead and void the get, therefore ruining her second marriage. And the Rabban are not choshesh for this. So we learned just the opposite. In the last Mishnah, if a man divorced his wife because there was rumored adultery, lo yachzir. He may not remarry her. Umishum neder, and because of neder, no yachzir. Rabbi Huda Omer, kol neder shiadu barabim no yachzir. Vishalo yadu barabim yachzir alma rabbanan chayish lekilkula. Rabbi Huda lo chayish lekilkula. Say in the previous Mishnah, we learned just the opposite. It appeared that what? It appeared that it was the rabbis 
who were not who were concerned for Kilkul, and Rabbi Huda was not concerned for Kilkul. And I both say the way they understand Rabbi Huda is not concerned for Kilkul is that Rabbi Huda only holds that the waiving of remarriage rights is only for a certain type of nedarim. So see, see, the rabbis are the ones who are more concerned that we want the husband to waive remarriage rights so that he doesn't mess over his wife, his ex-wife, in her second marriage. And Rabbi Huda is not as concerned for that. Yet, in our Mishnah, Rabbi Huda is the one who says that we have to force him to waive the rights of remarriage. And the rabbanon don't seem to be concerned for that. To which the Gemara says, Amr Shmuel Epoch, Rabbi Shmuel says, you're right, switch around the opinions. I, Vahamid Diktani Seifa, Niseis La'acher, Vahayula Banim Hemena, Vihi Tavas Ksuva. So we'll look at the end of the Mishnah. So we'll say, so therefore, the, therefore the Gemara is suggesting that you have to switch around the opinions in the Mishnah. So the way you should read the Mishnah is the following. Hamotias Ishto Mishom Islandis, if a man divorces his wife because she's an Islandis, Chachamim Omrim Lo Yachzir. The rabbis are the ones that say you have to waive your rights to remarriage. And Rabbi Huda says, Yachzir, excuse me. Yeah, and Rabbi Huda says, he can remarry her. So here's the problem. But look at the end of the Mishnah. What did the end of the Mishnah say? Mm-hmm. If she remarried a second guy and they had children, and now what? She comes to husband and says, hey, pay me my ksuva. So Amr Rabbi Huda, Amr Omer La, Rabbi Huda says, the ex-husband number one could say to her, your silence is better than your speech. In other words, be quiet, stop claiming the ksuva, or I'm going to try to avoid the get. So I'll say again, it's, now this is Rabbi Huda making a statement. It sounds like Rabbi Huda is the one who's choshesh, that if we don't force the husband to yield his remarriage rights, that's what? That he could mess her over. To which the Gemara says, nami The truth is, you have to switch around this also. That last part of the Mishnah should not read Rabbi Huda says, but rather what? The Chachamim say. Abayam, Rabbi on the other hand says, no, the old one knows Seifuch, you don't have to switch around the opinions. But Rabbi Yehuda Bahahi, Savarla Kirabi Meir, Visavarla Kirabi Lazar. So was Rabbi Yehuda in one case holds like Rabbi Meir, and in the other case holds like Rabbi Lazar. What does that mean? Bitsarich, Rabbi say, if it's a case of, remember, Tsarich means a case of a neder that requires Hataras Chacham. So if ultimately, again, it's a case where a situation requires Hatar Chacham, Savarla Kirabi Yalazar. He holds like Rabbi Lazar. I will say, Sarashi so says over here, Im Adam, um, I'm sorry, Savarla, yeah, I'm sorry, Savarla, so, 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 excuse me, Savahahi, so, I'm sorry, but Sarich, in a case where the Nedar requires ultimately Hatar Chacham, then he holds like Rabbi Lazar. Well, it defines it just a moment. In a case of an Nedar that does not require Hatar Chacham, Savarla Kirabi Meir. So, so let's work backwards. In the case of Rabbi Meir, Adam Yodea Shiyachol Hafer Nidre Ishto. So, because a man knows ultimately again that he could go ahead and be made for the nether of his wife, therefore again he holds like Rabbi Meir in that case. But in the previous case of holding Rabbi Lazar, what does that mean? That ain't Adam that ain't Adam Rotze Shetisbaze Ishto Bebezdin. And therefore again we're not Choshesh that he's going to be Makalka. So we'll say this goes back to the previous Shidas that we had on Ahmed Aleph in the previous case of Nidarim. Remember again the Machlogis Rabbi Lazar was. Would a man want his wife to go ahead and go to Bezdin 
to seek out annulment of a nether or not. So therefore, let me read this again. Rabbi Gemara says the following. The Gemara says that Rabbi Yehuda holds like Rabbi Meir in one case and Rabbi Lazar in the other case. In the case of Nidarim, meaning in the case of Tzarek, where the nether requires Hataras Chacham, he holds like Rabbi Lazar, which is that what? That a person does not want his wife to have to go to Beisdin to seek out annulment, and therefore if he divorces her based on a nether, that requires a noble by a sage, we're not concerned that he's going to come back afterwards and say, had I known that the nether could be annulled, I would have never divorced you. But in the case of where the nether does not require annulment, in that case what? He holds that Adam Look at Rashi, Rabbi Meir. He I'm sorry, actually not yet. So I'm a Rava. Rava says Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda Kasha. So are you saying, therefore, again, that the issue is only with the shittas of Rabbi Yehuda? The, the, the shittas of the Rabbanon also pose a kasha. Rabbi the positions of Rabbi Yehuda are not problematic, as we just answered. Similarly, again, the Rabbanon the Rabbanon also do not represent a stira, because man chachamim, who are the chachamim? Rabbi Meir, the Amr, ba'inon t'nai kafal, v'hach, s'vacham ayaskinon, b'dol kafal t'nai. So both sides, so again, let's just go back. So now remember, we have inherent contradictions between the various shitos. So first, remember, the, the contradiction is between Rabbi Huda and this Mishnah, Rabbi Huda and last Mishnah, chacham of this Mishnah, chacham of last Mishnah. On this Mishnah, it sounds like Rabbi Huda is the one who's choshesh for kilkul, the Rabbanon are not. In the last Mishnah was just the opposite. So first answer, the first resolution to this is how? Is that Lamaisa again just switch around the Shitos. That switch the Shitos of this Mishnah so that they line up with the Shitos of the previous Mishnah. Second answer is that no, do not go ahead and switch up the Shitos. Rather again, rather again says the Gemara that Rabbi Huda ultimately holds like Rabbi Meir in one case and Rabbi Lazar in a different case, to which the Gemara says, that takes care of Rabbi Yehuda. But Lamaise again, what do you do about the contradiction in the Shita of the Rabbanon? To which the Gemara says, that's not a kash, and I'll tell you why. Because who are the Rabbanon? The Rabbanon are Rabbi Meir. Now, both say, now what's unique about Shita's Rabbi Meir? Rabbi Meir holds in general that in order for a Tanai, in order for a condition to be binding, a condition must be a Tanai kafel, must be a double Tanai. What does it mean, both say? That it has to be phrased in the positive and in the negative. If this happens, then this. And if this does not happen, then this. And any tonight that is not a tonight, couple is not a bind tonight. Look at Rashi just a moment. Rabbi Meir, he, Darb Mseches Kiddushin, called tonight, She'eno kafal ki tonight b'nei gadu b'nei ruvein, any tonight that is not doubled, like the tonight of b'nei gadu b'nei ruvein, im yavru im lo yavru. So we'll say the tonight was, this is when b'nei gadu b'nei ruvein want to sell the Transjordanian lands. So what happens? So Moshe Rabbeinu says, fine, but again, he makes to make a Tanai Kafal. The Tanai Kafal was, if you go ahead and you go with your brethren and you fight in Eretz Yisrael, then the Transjordanian lands will be yours, but if you, but Moshe Rabbeinu didn't stop there. He also phrased in the negative, and if you don't go, then these lands will not be yours. So watch this. Let's plug this in over here. So the Gemara says that the, the Rabbanon of our Mishnah is Rabbi Meir, and Rabbi Meir holds that you need a Tanai Kafal. What's the case over here? The case over here is where there's no Tanai Kafal. Look at Rashi. Look at Rashi. 
Why are the rabbis not concerned for Kilkul in this case? You will say, what, what's the fundamental question over here? The fundamental question is, in the previous Mishnah, the rabbis made the husband, made the husband waive his rights for remarriage. Why? Because we're concerned that if he doesn't waive his rights for remarriage, what's going to happen? He's going to divorce her because of suspected adultery. And then what's going to happen? It's going to turn out the rumors were false. And what is he going to do? What is he going to do? He's going to try to, try to annul the marriage. And yet over here, when a man is divorcing his wife because she's an islandist, the rabbis do not make him waive his rights for remarriage. Why not? I'm going to tell you why. Because you know who the Rabbanon are in this Mishnah? The Rabbanon in this Mishnah are Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir requires that if a condition is going to be binding, what has to happen? It has to be phrased in the positive and the negative. And what's the case in the Mishnah? The case in the Mishnah is husband is divorcing his wife because she's an, she's an islandist. And by the way, Husband is telling his wife that. He's telling her, I'm divorcing you because you're an islandist. So the Rabbanon say, the Rabbanon say, see, the reason why this case is not problematic is why? Because the Hans is not making a tonight. He's not saying over here that's what? That if I go ahead, I'm divorcing you because you're an islandist. And if what? And if what? And if you're not an islandist, that the get should not be chal. See, if the husband would say that, then we've got some problems. Because then he's re- making a bona fide tonight, and then really, technically speaking, if it turns out that she could have children, there are grounds absolutely for the annulment of the get. But in this case, there's no tonight couple. Because there's no tonight couple, even though he says that he's divorcing her because she's an islandist, if it turns out that she's not an islandist, then what recourse does he have? None. And therefore, again, there's no concern that he can undermine or negate the get, and therefore the rabbis don't feel it necessary to have him waive his right of remarriage. All right, the Muslim will stop over here. We're at the show. We'll pick up with the Mishnah tomorrow. I'm sorry? No, in the Moti Shemra case, it's a different situation because there it's not a Tanai at all. That's not a Tanai. That's just that.